Thank you for tuning in to The Way Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to showcase the way that God wants us to live by looking at what is written in His Word. The Bible says God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is That Way. Here is your host, Houston Welch. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Houston Welch, and I'm here today with my friend and God's servant, Michael Clark. Michael, won't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I preach in the Somerville Church of Christ, Tennessee area, Somerville, Tennessee, and I've known you, Houston, for years. We went to school together around the same time, and we were both wraparounds, so we know what that's like and going through that horrible ordeal, uh, but it was, it was a blessing. We were managing to get through it, and so um, I've been very appreciative of the work that you've done over the years, and the opportunity to work together at Scattered Abroad is amazing. Yes. Being a wraparound, we, we had to come in in one of the roughest quarters of the Memphis School of Preaching first year, but then we get to close it out on one of the best quarters of, of the Memphis School of Preaching first year. Uh, so today, Michael and I, we're going to be discussing something which I, I believe it hits home with a lot of people, and I know it hits home with both Michael and, and myself because we're in, in, sim, in similar situations, and we're talking about uh, non, the non-believing and the erring and particularly from the perspective of our friends and, and family. And first, we need to determine a, a difference or just make a distinguishment between the non-believing and those who have left Christ or the erring. So is, is there a difference between the two, Michael? Yeah, you can find in like Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, a man who was a, a pretty upstanding citizen of his community, and he feared God, and he prayed to God. He gave alms to God, and all of the things that you read in Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through or two, but you find that there's something that he's lacking. Mm-hmm. But the language used all throughout Acts chapter 10 is very accommodative to try to aid Cornelius in becoming a Christian. And Peter, when he comes and preaches to him, is not uh, he's not speaking to him as if he's rebuking him. He's trying to teach him. But when you start to read those who have left Christ that have been Christians that have fallen away, you find passages like Revelation 2, 4, where it says, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Second uh, Peter 2, 19 through 22 is probably the most popular passages that we use for these types of situations where it says, they promised them liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption for by whom a person is overcome by him also is he brought into bondage for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. And it says here that the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. And it says, for it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than having known it and to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So here's the here's the difference. I hear people sometimes say, Cornelius and a saved person, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference between just asking Jesus into your heart or being just a good person. Well, Cornelius was a good person, but God was very specific. Mm -hmm. He needed salvation. But then when we read these passages like this, you go to verse 22 and it says, a dog returning to his own vomit. And there's a very, just a disgusting picture given. And I think anyone that owns a pet has experienced the dog throwing up and then returning and eating it. And you think about the just, oh, it makes you sick. You think, I'd rather have cleaned it up and thrown it in the trash than for you to eat it again. But that's the mental picture that we're supposed to have when it comes to going back to sin. 
It's supposed to be so detestable and so disgusting, something that we would never want to do that we'd never even consider it, or like a pig that has been washed and it goes and wallows in the mire again. It was clean, but now it's dirty again. And there's that distinct difference made. And when you find Peter, and I think it's important to mention Acts 10 because Peter was a Jew going to speak to a Gentile. And there is a huge problem with that when you look at the con- the context and the history between the Jews and the Gentiles. They, they really didn't do well with each other. And yet Peter was able to go and say very specifically in that chapter, who's going to deny them the ability to be baptized, seeing that they've received the gift of the Spirit as we have? Peter's understanding of they're, they're able to be saved, they can be saved, but if Cornelius, after coming out of that water— had turned back to the life that he lived, even though according to the community, according to anyone that you would have asked, he was a good person, he would have been like a dog returning to his own vomit. Yeah, and a good example of somebody who is erring versus somebody you mentioned Cornelius as as a non-believer, though he he was a good person and he eventually was saved. He wasn't saved at the time at the start of Acts chapter ten. But a good example of of the erring is Simon the sorcerer. He was somebody who was saved, but he his he still had that tie or the the affections of the world, which led him astray from Christ. And of course, uh, he's sought Peter to pray for him after he, after the rebuke. So it's reasonable to think that he uh, was at least set back on the right path. Um, but you, you mentioned Cornelius as being a good person, and, and that really sets to mind the sad, the sad part of what we're talking about, the sad aspect of what we're, of what we're talking about, and that he was a good man. Yeah, he the Bible calls him devout, and he gave alms. He 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 gave to others what they needed. He he had love. He showed love, but he was still lost, mm-hmm. just like so many good people today, and yet they're still lost. And we have friends and family who are good and honorable people who, in fact, they probably look more like Christ than than most Christians. And yet they still fail uh, to to heed his warnings and to obey him. Now, as Christians, we making the stink the distinction between the two. We also have different relationships mm-hmm. with the two. What our relationship with uh, the non-believing is is different from what our relationship is with the uh, with the erring. We're to treat the two different. Uh, would you care to expound upon that, Michael? Yeah, and I think I'm going to build continually on this, at least this question as well, with Cornelius again. Uh, we are not allowed, when we're when we're looking at people who are not yet Christians, to pick and choose who we preach the gospel to. Uh, the Scattered Abroad Network, the whole purpose of that is to preach the gospel to anybody. I mean, our mission statement is to seek the lost and encourage the saved. And here we have, like Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which he chooses to save that is lost, or just the lost in general? It was just the lost in general. Jesus says, my mission is to come to this earth and help every single person who is lost. And we read in passages like Romans chapters 1 through 3 about how the salvation was once obtained, we were once in a saved state, and then we lost it because we sinned, we transgressed the law of God, and so we're now in a sin sinful state. We have to be getting back toward that salvation. The only way to do that 
is to be saved. And we're finding passages like 1 Peter 3.21 and Mark 15, 16, and Mark 16, 15, and 16 being baptized for the remission of sins is the only way that that is possible. So as far as our relationship to the lost, we can't pick and choose who we're going to save. And I think when we talk about passages throughout the New Testament, when we think about the word prejudice, I think the country and the world has hijacked the word prejudice and has made it a skin color only issue. But James chapter 2 tells us that prejudice can be the way someone's dressed. If I look at a brother who is wearing good clothing and look at a brother who is wearing scraps of garments, basically, and I show preferential treatment to the one who looks better, I'm being prejudiced towards that brother, and it has nothing to do with skin color in that situation. Well, what it's trying to illustrate to people is you can't pick and choose who gets better treatment with the gospel. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 talking about doing good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. Mm-hmm. And so we have a responsibility with the lost. Yeah. As as far as the erring brethren that were once saved and then they are overtaken, I think Galatians 6, 1 through 10 is the best example of that. Yes. Yeah. And I taught through Galatians at Somerville years ago now, about two, And when we got to this chapter, I really poured into these first 10 verses, and I noticed that when you find the language that's used where it says, brethren, if a man is overtaken, that word overtaken there in the Greek is literally a word that says caught unaware. And you get the idea of driving down the road, and maybe a country road especially, and a deer jumps out in front of you. And maybe you've had that experience if you're listening. I had a couple of times I've had a deer jump out in front of me. I've been fortunate a couple, and I've hit a deer the other two. And the one time I hit a deer that was the worst, I was driving a Prius. Now, I drive a truck now. Houston knows that about me. The reason I have a truck is because of that deer hitting the Prius. When that thing jumped out in front of the Prius, though, I was caught unaware. I was overtaken by that deer. It just, I didn't expect it. Sin is not something that you're going to necessarily be able to catch every time coming your way. You can be overtaken by it. And when you're overtaken, we're told to restore such a one. Mm -hmm. Those who are spiritual, restore such a one. That word restore is literally the idea of mending something. And we find that same word used in passages where we find the apostles were mending their nets, where they were putting the nets back Mm -hmm. together. And so that's what we're talking about is putting something back together in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And then it goes down to talking about bearing one another's burdens and not thinking too highly of ourselves, verse 3, because we're nothing. And if we think we're some great person, we're deceiving ourselves. We fall into the same trap. That's right. Or can fall into the same trap. That's right. And verse 4 talks about examining our own our own selves. And verse 5, we have to bear our own sins is what it's basically talking about there. And then it's saying, verses, verse 6, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. But here's something interesting. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he sows to his flesh will of the flesh, he'll reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit will reap everlasting life. We've often taken verse 7, and we've plucked it out of context, and we basically say, don't be a bad person because you'll reap bad things. The context of this, though, is the idea of if you don't help someone when they're struggling with sin or they're struggling with a burden, if you don't go to their aid, don't be shocked if nobody comes to your aid and nobody comes to your help. If I see that you're struggling, Houston, you alone, and you basically call upon me and you need me, and I say, I can't help you. If I do it in such a way that turns you off as a person, are you going to call me again? Maybe not. And if I called on you, would you be as inclined to help me? Absolutely not. And that's the problem. 
And so we look at verse 7, and we're talking about restoring the erring, those who have wandered away from Christ. We're told, you need to think of this as a serious matter because you yourself might find one day in the exact same situation, and you want someone to come and help you get through it. And so consider yourself, and I don't want to get too far ahead of I know what we're going to talk about, but you have to consider yourself and actually go and restore them. You can't just say, that's unfortunate that they're lost, especially if we know them. I know sometimes in, in the church we we think of the church as so am, ambiguous. You know, it's a big thing. There's a whole lot going on, and I can't necessarily know every single person that is lost. But if I know the person mm-hmm. specifically, I have no excuse to go to not go and talk to them. Yeah, and talking about the erring uh, brethren, First Corinthians five is a good uh, a, a good passage or a good chapter to to reference in in our relationship both with the 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 lost and with the erring brethren. Um, now, you have to, like Michael has done, you have to reference other passages as as well. Galatians chapter six is a really good uh, section of, of scripture to, to to go to on what we need to do. But if you're familiar with First Corinthians chapter five, uh, there was a brother there in Corinth, and he was a brother who was fornicating, and he he had uh, uh, desired his his father's wife, and and so. Paul admonished the brethren there at Corinth to, to, quote, deliver such a one to Satan. Give him back to the world. Let him go back to the world. If he wants to be of the world, then let him go back. Withdraw from him and, and don't have anything to do with him. Uh, now, that in doing so, accompanied with Matthew chapter 18, as well as what uh, Matthew, uh, Michael referenced in Galatians chapter 6, and as well as my, uh, Matthew chapter 5, you are still to admonish the brother. He is still a brother. Even though he has left Christ and gone out into the world, he is erring. Now, when you withdraw fellowship, you are still trying in that withdrawal to gain your brother, to win your brother back. Now, then he transitions on in um, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to accompany with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous uh, or extortioners or with idolaters, etc. For then you must needs go out of the world. So he's not saying that those who are outside of Christ, that we're going to just completely be able to withdraw from them. That's impossible. We're still, even though we're called out of the world, we still exist in this present world. And we are to win those fornicators. We are to win the covetous. We are to win the extortioners and idolaters, etc. But for the brother who has gone astray, we have to withdraw. Now, when we reference Matthew chapter 18, it tells us when we, what we need to do before we withdraw from them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul gets right into the end of the matter. So, And it's, it's a very tight and very hard situation to be in because we don't want to withdraw from individuals that we love, individuals right. that, that, that we have... Uh, grown up with in our Christianity, not grown up with from our childhood, but from our uh, from our spiritual uh, birth. So, how can we see 
the wisdom of God, or can we see the wisdom of God in his commands on our dealings with the those of the world and those uh, erring brethren? Some people would, would tell you or would tell me that withdrawal doesn't work, and it's a harsh thing to do, and we live in this world today where more people are concerned about feelings than faith, and more people are concerned about feelings and upholding the faith and doing what is supposed to be done by faithful brethren. And I don't mean they don't have faith in God. They believe, they say they have faith in God, but they don't, they're not faithful. And that idea of being faithful brethren means that we will do what the Bible says in any situation that it calls for. And so when we ask that question of, can we see the wisdom of you know God dealing with erring brethren? Yes, because it works. You, you mentioned 1 Corinthians 5. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because you, you think about verse... 8 of 2 Corinthians verses uh, verse 8 and following here, it talks about, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Well, who's the him? Well, we go back up to verse 5, and it says, if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, mm-hmm. you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. And so here we have, the, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Here's a man who was in sin. They withdrew from him, and then they went too far with it, though. Paul had had to tell them, well, bring him back. He repented. He's he's changed. You need to reaffirm your love to him and show him. You did withdraw from him, but the withdrawal worked. There's no reason to continue to be withdrawn from him. And so when you ask the question, does withdrawal work? It obviously does. And someone else, like you mentioned a moment ago, Paul got right to the heart of the matter in 1 Corinthians 5. The reason I think he could do that is he had extensive knowledge of the situation. Mm-hmm. He had knowledge of what was going on because of the house of Chloe reporting to him and telling exactly, him, yeah. here are the issues going on in our congregation in Corinth. And so he gets right down to it and says, it's better for you to let him go to the world than to corrupt the church because their issue in 1 Corinthians 5 was not so much alone that they were not withdrawing from him, but they were glorifying what he had done yeah. and acting as though they were such a tolerant church because they allowed a man who had taken a woman that he was not supposed to be with and was in a relationship with her. And then they want to parade around and say, now, if you want to come to Corinth, look how tolerant we are. Yeah, and which, which we could go into uh, modern times on mm-hmm. what, what, you know, what, a, what a show that is for, for the world today. Um, but so, so we, we see the wisdom of God in that it does, it does work. Of course, of course, it's not going to work 100% of the time. No. And and we and we know about that. We know of situations where a brother or sister who when when their own affections, their own desires get in the way and they choose their own will over God's will, then they're not going to come back to the Lord. Right. But when they see that they've lost what they once had, that they've lost that family of God and they've also lost the salvation of their souls, they're likely to come back. But so what can we do quickly uh, to help bring back the erring? And we, we've already mentioned that it's not going to be the case every time, but what, what can we do? And I think the, the real issue with this is there are those who have lost family and loved ones, and they want to know those who have died. You know, well, yes. I don't want to be a Christian if I can't be with my loved ones. Uh, brethren, friends, 
they don't want you to be where they're at. Luke 16, 27 through 31, the, the rich man in torment wanted his family to be saved because he didn't want them to come where he was. And Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets and need to hear them. But when we talk about this idea of bringing the erring back in some cases like the prodigal, they have to come to themselves and realize where they're at. Luke, Luke 15, 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants does my father have? And I'm over here starving. I should return and repent to my father and reaffirm my love to him and show him that I'm sorry. But ultimately, it all comes back to Galatians 6, 1 through 2. When we find someone that's erring, we really have to do a check with ourselves because a big portion of that is also, if I don't keep myself in check, they could get me to fall away like they have. Yes, yes. So, and and you've kind of alluded to to this already, when we do have family members who are who have perhaps passed on and we know according to scripture that where where they where they were going mm-hmm. and we have family members who are still present with us but we know according to the scriptures where they're going and we have uh, friends and family who have once obeyed the gospel uh, but have since left that doctrine which they were taught how what what can what can help us cope we have to really do what first peter 5 7 says casting our cares upon jesus for he cares for you and he will he will get you through that i mean i don't know what the prodigal son's father did other than it says that he was looking for him when he was coming back home, he saw him from a great distance, and he ran and fell upon him. I mean, it's like he tackled him and fell on his son and kissed his neck and held him close and reaffirmed his love, even though his son had, had basically withdrawn from the family and chosen to leave the family and go and do his own thing. The father's love was still there that when his son came home and he was ready to change, he was willing to accept him back. That's what God is. That's that's the whole purpose of that parable is God is willing to forgive you if you just simply come home. But I don't know what the father did waiting for his son, how he coped with it, other than perhaps the hope that we have to give each other now is there's still time. Yeah. There's still time. We have to do what we can, but sometimes we have to let people fail on their own. We, we can't. I know as parents it's hard. I've, I've got a three-year-old, and I want him to – be successful in life and have all these great and wonderful blessings. But there have been times where even in his short amount of time on earth, I've had to let him fail at something Mm -hmm. because I can't do everything for him. I can't feed him past a certain point. He needs to learn now how to eat on his own. And sometimes that results in dropped food on the floor and the dog coming over and eating the food. And you have to train him. No, no, it's okay. Just use your fork. Use your fork. And when it comes to a point with people falling away, I can't proverbially take the fork and continue to feed my son when he's an adult, especially. He's a grown man at that point. He has to fail or succeed on his own, and I can only be there to give advice. Yes, Revelation chapter 21 uh, mentions that there's going to be no tears in heaven, and I've uh, seen a lot of a lot of brethren bid the question regarding that verse, well, because they know the truth. How is there going to be no tears in heaven knowing what the scriptures say. Right. Because on that day of judgment, there's going to be a lot of loss. So how can that be possible? And one of the things that I like to tell myself or remind myself of is the same uh, statement that that Abraham gave to God when negotiated with him. I know the judge of all the earth will do right. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to mean that on the day of judgment that those who I thought were going to be lost according to the scriptures are going to be saved. That's not what it means. But in that day, 
I know the judge of all the earth will do right. Right. I know that his judgment is going to be just. And with that, I'm content because I know that as long as I do what he has desired of me, that I can be saved and that I'm pleased and that I'm trying to please my Lord. That's right. Well, Michael, uh, I do appreciate you, uh, coming on and speaking with me regarding this. Um, Michael is going to be back with me, Lord willing, uh, March eight, uh, March 18th. And we're going to be discussing, uh, the preacher. If you are, if you've made it to the end of the episode, please rate and review us. And if you're watching us on or listening to us through Facebook, please be sure to like and share and be sure to check out the scattered abroad network page and like, and share it as well. Uh, thank you for listening and have a good day. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. That's the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.